happy Memorial Day. I hope you're all having as much of a relaxing day as you can. Hopefully you have the day off. Hopefully um, you'll be able to enjoy some portion of it. I'm going to continue reading my third section of Ellis's Adventures in Wonderland, chapters 7 through 9. Chapter 7, A Mad Tea Party. There was a table set out under a tree in front of the house, and the March Hare and the Hatter were having tea at it. A dormouse was sitting between them, fast asleep, and the other two were using it as a cushion, resting their elbows on it and talking over its head. Very uncomfortable for the dormouse, thought Alice. Only as it's asleep, I suppose it doesn't mind. The table was a large one, but there were, but the three were all crowded together at one corner of it. No room, no room, they cried out when they saw Alice coming. There's plenty of room, said Alice indignantly, and she sat down in a large arm chair at one end of the table. Have some wine, the March Hare said in an encouraging tone. Alice looked all around the table, but there was nothing on it but tea. I don't see any wine, she remarked. There isn't any, said the March Hare. Then it wasn't very civil of you to offer, said Alice angrily. It wasn't very civil of you to sit down without being invited, said the March Hare. I didn't know it was your table, said Alice. It's laid for a great many more than three. Your hair wants cutting, said the Hatter. He had been looking at Alice for some time with great curiosity, and this was his first speech. You should not learn to make personal remarks, Alice said with some severity. It's very rude. The Hatter opened his eyes very wide on hearing this, but all he said was, Why is a raven like a writing desk? Come, we shall have some fun now, thought Alice. I'm glad they've begun asking riddles. I believe I can guess that, she added aloud. Do you mean that you think you can find out the answer to it, said the March Hare. Exactly so, said Alice. Then you should say what you mean, the March Hare went on. I do, said Alice hastily. At least, at least I mean what I say. That's not the same thing, you know. Not the same thing a bit, said the Hatter. Why, you might just as well say, I see what I eat is the same thing as I eat what I see. You might just as well say, added the March Hare, that I like what I get is the same as I get what I like. You might just as well say, added the Dormouse, which seemed to be talking in his sleep, that I breathe when I sleep is the same thing as I sleep when I breathe. It is the same thing with you, said the Hatter. And here the conversation dropped and the party sat silent for a minute while Alice thought over all she could remember about ravens and writing desks, which wasn't much. The Hatter was first to break the silence. What day of the month is it? He said, turning to Alice as he had taken his watch out of his pocket and was looking at it uneasily, shaking it every now and then and holding it to his ear. Alice considered a little and then said, the fourth. Two days wrong, said the Hatter. I told you, I told you butter wouldn't suit the works, he uh, added, looking angrily at the March Hare. It was the best butter, the March Hare meekly replied. Yes, but some crumbs must have got in as well, said the Hatter. You shouldn't have put it in with the bread knife. The March Hare took the watch and looked at it gloomily. Then he dipped it into his cup of tea, looked at it again. But all he could think of nothing better to say than his first remark. It was the best butter, you know. Alice had been looking over his shoulder with some curiosity. What a funny watch, she remarked. It tells the day of the month and it doesn't tell what o'clock it is? Why should it, muttered the Hatter. Does your watch tell you what year it is? course not, Alice replied readily, but that's because it says the same year for such a long time altogether, which is just the case with mine, said the Hatter. Alice felt dreadfully puzzled. 
The hatter's remark seemed to her to have no sort of meaning in it, and yet it was certainly English. I don't quite understand you, she said as politely as she could. The dormouse is asleep again, said the hatter, as he poured a little hot tea upon its nose. The dormouse shook its head impatiently and said without opening its eyes, of course, of course, just when I was going to remark myself. Have you guessed the riddle yet, said the hatter, turning to Alice again. No, I give up, Alice replied. What's the answer? I haven't the slightest idea, said the hatter. Nor I, said the March Hare. Alice sighed wearily. I think you might do some better, do something better with the time, she said, than wasting it in asking riddles that you have no answers. If you knew time as well as I do, said the hatter, you wouldn't talk about wasting it. It's him. I don't know what you mean, said Alice. Of course you don't, said the hatter, tossing his head contemptuously. I dare say you never even spoke to time. Perhaps not, cautious Al Alice cautioned, replied. I know I have to beat time when I learn music. Ah, that accounts for it, said the hatter. He won't stand beating. Now, if you only keep it on good terms with him, he'll do almost anything you liked with the clock. For instance, suppose it were nine o'clock in the morning, just time to begin lessons. You'd only have to whisper a hint to time and round the clock goes to a twinkling. Half past one, time for dinner. I only wish it was, said the Marsh Hare to himself in a whisper. It would be grand, certainly, said Alice thoughtfully. But then I shouldn't be hungry for it, you know. Not at first, perhaps, said the Hatter. But you could keep it to half past one as long as you liked. Is that the way you manage? asked Alice. The Hatter shook his head mournfully. Not I, he replied. We quarreled last March, just before he went mad, you know, pointing with his teaspoon at the March Hare. It was the great concern given by the Queen of Hearts. And I had to sing... Twinkle, twinkle, little bat, how I wonder what you're at. You know the song, perhaps? I've heard something like it, said Alice. It goes on, you know, the Hatter continued in this way. Up above the world you fly, like a tea tray in the sky. Twinkle, twinkle, here the dormouse shook itself and began singing in its sleep. Twinkle, 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 and went on so long they had to pinch it to make it stop. Well, I'd hardly finished the first verse, said the Hatter. When the queen bawled out, he's murdering the time off with his head. How dreadfully savage, exclaimed Alice. And ever since that, said the Hatter, he went on in a mournful tone. He won't do a thing I ask. It's always six o'clock now. A bright idea came into Alice's head. Is that the reason so many tea things are out put out here? She said, yes, that's it, said the Hatter with a sigh. It's always tea time and we've got no time to wash the things between whiles. Then you keep moving round, I suppose, said Alice. Exactly so, said the Hatter, as the things get used up. But what happens when you come to the beginning again, Alice ventured to ask. Suppose we change the subject, the March Hare interrupted, yawning. I'm getting tired of this. I vote the young lady tells us a story. I'm afraid I don't know one, said Alice, rather alarmed at the proposal. Then the Dormouse shall, they both cried. Wake up, Dormouse, and they pinched it on both sides at once. The Dormouse slowly opened its eyes. I wasn't asleep, it said in a hoarse, feeble voice. I heard every word you fellows were saying. Tell us a story, said the March Hare. Yes, please do, pleaded Alice. Just be quick about it, said the Howder, or else you'll be asleep again before it's done. Once upon a time, there were three little sisters, the Dormouse began in a great hurry, and their names were Elise, Lacey, and Tilly, and they lived in the bottom of a well. What did they live on, said Alice, who always took great interest in questions of eating and drinking. They lived on a treckle, said the Dormouse, after thinking a minute or two. They couldn't have done that, you know, said Alice. She gently remarked, they'd have been ill. So they were, said the Dormouse, very ill.
Alice tried to fancy herself what such an extraordinary way of living would be like, but it puzzled her too much. So she went on, but what did they live at the bottom of, but why did they live at the bottom of a well? Take some more tea, the March Hare said to Alice very earnestly. I've had nothing yet, Alice replied in an offended tone, so I can't take more. You mean you can't take less, said the Hatter. It's very easy to take more than nothing. Nobody asked your opinion, said Alice. Who's making re personal remarks now, said the Hatter triumphantly. Alice did not know quite what to say with to this, so she helped herself to some tea and bread and butter and then turned to the Dormouse and repeated her question. Why did they all live at the bottom of a well? The Dormouse, again, took a minute or two to think about. It was a truckle well. There's no such thing, Alice said as she was beginning to get very angry. But the Hatter and the March Hare went shh, shh, and the Dormouse sulkily, sulkily remarked, You better finish the story for yourself. No, please go on, said Alice very humbly. I won't interrupt you again. I dare say there may be one. One indeed, said the Dormouse indignantly. However, he consented to go on. And so these three little sisters, they were learning to draw, you know. What did they draw, said Alice, quite forgetting her promise. Treckle, said the Dormouse, without considering at all this time. I want a clean cup, interrupted the Hatter. Let's all move one place on. He moved on as he spoke, and the Dormouse followed him. The March Hare moved into the Dormouse's place, and Alice rather unwillingly took the place of the March Hare. The Hatter was the only one who got the advantage from the change, and Alice was a good deal worse off than before, as the March Hare had just upset the milk jug into his plate. Alice did not wish to offend the Dormouse again, so she began very cautiously. But I don't understand. Where did they draw the treckle from? You can draw water out of a water well, said the Hatter, so I should think you should draw a treckle out of a treckle well, eh, stupid? But they were in the well, Alice said to the Dormouse, choosing not to notice the last remark. Of course they were, said the Dormouse. Well in. The answer so confused poor Alice that she let the Dormouse go on for some time without interrupting it. They were learning to draw, said the Dormouse. He went on yawning and rubbing his eyes, for it was getting very sleepy. And they all drew a manner of all things, everything that begins with an M. Why with an M, said Alice. Why not, said the March Hare. Alice was silent. The Dormouse had closed its eyes by this time and was going off into a little doze. But on being pinched by the Hatter, it woke up again with a little shriek and went on. That begins with an M, such as mouse traps and the moon and memory and muchness. You know, you say things are much of muchness. Did you ever see a thing of drawing of a muchness? Really, now you ask me, said Alice, very much confused. I don't think, then you shouldn't talk, said the Hatter. This piece of rudeness was more than Alice could bear. She got up in great disgust and walked off. The Dormouse fell asleep again instantly, and neither of the others took the least notice of her going, though she looked back once or twice, half hoping they would call after her. The last time she saw them, they were trying to put the Dormouse into the teapot. At any rate, I'll never go there again, said Alice as she picked her way through the wood. It's the stupidest tea party I was ever in in all my life. Just as she said this, she noticed that one of the trees had a door leading right into it. That's very curious, she thought. But everything's curious today. I think I may well go in at once. And in she went. Once more, she found herself in the long hall and close to the little glass table. Now I'll manage better this time, she said to herself, and began by taking the little golden key, unlocking the door that led into the garden, and then she set to work at nibbling at the mushrooms. She had kept a piece of it in her pocket till she was about a foot high. Then she walked down the little passage and then, 
she found herself at last in the beautiful garden among the bright flower beds and cool fountains. Chapter eight, the queen's croquet. A large rose tree stood near the entrance of the garden. The roses growing on it were white, but there were three gardeners at it, busily painting them red. Alice thought this a very curious thing, and she went nearer to watch them, and just as she came to them, she heard one of them say, Look out now, Five, don't go splashing paint on me like that. I couldn't help it, said Five in a sulky tone. Seven jogged my elbow, on which Seven looked up and said, That's right, Five, always lay blame on others. You'd better not talk, said Five. I heard the queen say only yesterday you deserve to be beheaded. For what, said the one who had spoken first. That's none of your business, too, said Seven. Yes, it is his business, said Five, and I'll tell him. It was for bringing the crook tulip roots, and bringing up the crook tulip roots instead of onions. Seven flung down the brush and had just begun, well, of all the unjust things when his eye chanced to fall upon Alice. She stood watching them, and he checked himself suddenly. The others looked around also. All of them bowed low. Would you tell me, please, said Alice a little timidly, why are you painting those roses? Five and seven said nothing, but looked at two. Two began in a low voice. Why, the f here, this here ought to have been a red rose tree, and we put a white one in by mistake, and if the queen was to find out, we should all have our heads cut off, you know. So you see, miss, we're doing our best. Afore she comes to, at this moment, five, who had been anxiously looking across the garden, called out, the queen, the queen! And the other three gardeners instantly threw themselves flat upon their faces. There was a sound of many footsteps, and Alice looked round, eager to see ten soldiers carrying clubs. These were all shaped like the three gardeners, oblong and flat, with their hands and feet all in the corners. The next ten courtiers, these were ornamented all over with diamonds, and walked two and two as the soldiers did. After there were ten of them, and the little deers came jumping merrily along, hand in hand in couples. They were all, were all ornamented with hearts. Next came the guest, guests, mostly kings and queens, and among them, Alice. It was talking in a hurried, nervous manner, smiling at everything that was said, and went by without noticing her. Then followed the knave of hearts, carrying the king's crown on a crimson velvet cushion. And at last, of all this grand procession, came the king and queen of hearts. Alice was rather doubtful whether she ought not to lie down on her face like the three gardeners, but she could not remember ever having heard of such a rule at processions. And besides, what would be the use of a procession, thought she, if people had all to lie down on their faces so they couldn't see it? So she stood where she was and waited. When the procession came opposite to Alice, they stopped and looked at her, and the queen said severely, Who is this? She said it to the knave of hearts, who only bowed and smiled in reply. Idiot, said the queen, tossing her head impatiently and turning to Alice. She went on, what's your name, child? My name is Alice, so please your majesty, said Alice very politely. But she added to herself, why, they're only a pack of cards after all. I needn't be afraid of them. And who are these, said the queen, pointing to the three gardeners who were lying around the rose tree. For you see, they, as they were lying on their faces and the patterns on their backs were the same, as the rest of the pack, she could not tell whether they were gardeners or soldiers or courtiers or three of her own children. How should I know, said Alice, surprised at her own courage. It's no business of mine. The queen turned crimson with fury, and after glaring at her for a moment like a wild beast began screaming, off with her head, off with nonsense, said Alice very loudly and decidedly, and the queen was silent. 
the king laid his hand upon her arm and timidly said, consider my child. She is only a child. Oh, consider my dear. She is only a child. The queen turned angrily away from him and said to the knave, turn them over. The knave did so very carefully with one foot. Get up, said the queen in a shrill, loud voice, and the three gardeners instantly jumped up and began bowing to the king, the queen, the royal children, and everybody else. Leave off that, screamed the queen. You make me giddy. And then, turning to the rose tree, she went on, what have you been doing here? May it please your majesty, said Tu, in a very humble tone, going down on one knee as he spoke. We were trying. I see, said the queen, who had meanwhile been examining the roses. Off with their heads, and the precision procession moved on. Three of the soldiers remaining behind to execute the unfortunate gardeners who ran to Alice for protection. You shan't be beheaded, said Alice, and she put them into a large flower pot that stood near. The three soldiers wandered about for a minute or two looking for them and then quietly marched off after the others. Are their heads off, shouted the queen. Their heads are gone, if it please your majesty, the soldiers shouted in reply. That's right, shouted the queen. Can you play croquet? The soldiers were silent and looked at Alice as the question was evidently meant for her. Yes, shouted Alice. Come on then, roared the queen, and Alice joined the procession, wondering very much what would happen next. It's, it's a very fine day, said a timid voice next to her at her side. She was walking by the white rabbit, who was peeping anxiously into her face. Very, said Alice. Where's the duchess? Hush, hush, said the rabbit in a hurried low tone. He looked anxiously over his shoulders, he spoke, and then he raised himself upon tiptoe and put his mouth close to her ear and whispered, she's under sentence of execution. For what, said Alice. Didn't you say what a pity? The rabbit asked. No, I didn't, said Alice. I don't think it's a, at all a pity. I said, what for? She boxed the queen's ears, the rabbit began. Alice gave a little scream of laughter. Oh, hush, the rabbit whispered in a frightened tone. The queen will hear you. You see, she came rather late and the queen said, get to your places, shouted the queen in a voice of thunder. And people began running all about in all directions, tumbling up on each other. However, they got settled down in a minute or two and the game began. Alice thought she had never seen such a curious croquet ground in all her life. It was all ridges and furrows and the croquet balls were live hedgehogs and the mallets live flamingos and the up and stand on their heads and feet to make the arches. The chief difficulty Alice found at first was managing her flamingo. She succeeded in getting enough under her arm with its legs hanging down but generally just as she had got its neck nicely straightened out and as it was going to give the hedgehog a blow with its head it would twist itself around and look up at her face with such a puzzled expression that she could not help but bursting into laughing and when she had gotten its head down and was going to begin again it was very provoking to find the hedgehog had unrolled itself and was in the act of crawling away besides all of this there was generally a ridge or a furrow in the way whenever she wanted to send the hedgehog to, and the doubled-up soldiers were always getting up and walking off to other parts of the ground. Alice soon came to the conclusion that it was a very difficult game indeed. The players all played at once without waiting for turns, quarreling all the while, and fighting for the hedgehogs, and in a very short time the queen was in a furious passion and went stamping about and shouting, Off with his head! or Off with her head! about once a minute. Alice began to feel very uneasy to be sure. She had not yet had any dispute with the queen, but she knew that it might happen any minute. And then thought she, what would become of me? They, they're dreadfully fond of beheading people here. The great wonder is that there's anyone left alive. 
She was looking about for some way of escape and wondering whether she could get away without being seen when she noticed a curious appearance in the air. It puzzled her very much at first, but watching it a minute or two, she made it out to be a grin, and she said to herself, it's the Cheshire Cat. Now I shall have somebody to talk to. How are you getting on, said the cat, soon as there was a mouth enough for it to speak. Alice waited until the eyes appeared and then nodded. It's no use speaking to it, she thought, till its ears have come, or at least one of them. And Alice put down her flamingo and began an account of the game, feeling very glad. The cat seemed to think that there was enough of it now in sight, and no more of it appeared. I don't think they play at all fairly, Alice began in a rather complaining tone, and they all quarrel so dreadfully no one can hear oneself speak, and they don't seem to have any rules in particular, at least if there are, nobody attends to them. And you've no idea how confusing it is, all of the things being alive. For instance, there's the arch I've got to go through, next walking about to the other end of the ground, and I should have croqueted the queen's hedgehog just now, only it ran away when it saw mine coming. How do you like the queen? The cat said in, or the cat said in a low voice. Not at all, said Alice. She's so extremely, just then she noticed that the queen was close behind her listening. So she went on, likely to win that it's hardly worth while finishing the game. The queen smiled and passed on. Who are you talking to? Said the king, coming up to Alice and looking at the cat's head with great curiosity. It's a friend of mine, a Cheshire cat, said Alice. Allow me to introduce it. I don't like the look of it at all, said the king. However, it may kiss my hand if it likes. I'd rather not, the cat remarked. Don't be impertinent, said the king, and don't look at me like that. He got behind Alice as he spoke. A cat may look like a king, said Alice. I've read that in a book somewhere, but I don't remember where. Well, it must be removed, said the king very decidedly, and he called to the queen, who was passing at the moment. My dear, I wish you would have this cat removed. The queen had only one way of settling difficulties, great or small. Off with his head, she said, without even looking around. I'll fetch the executioner myself, the king said eagerly, and he hurried off. Alice thought she might as well go back and see how the game was going on, as she heard the queen's voice going in the distance, screaming with passion. She had already heard her sentence, three of the players, to be executed for having missed their turns, so she did not like the look of things at all as the game was in such confusion that she never knew whether it was her turn or not. So she went off in search of her hedgehog. The hedgehog was engaged in a fight with another hedgehog, which seemed to Alice an excellent opportunity for croqueting one of them with the other. The only difficulty was that her flamingo was gone across to the other side of the garden where Alice could see it trying in a helpless sort of way to fly up a tree. By the time she had caught the flamingo and brought it back, the fight was over and both the hedgehogs were out of sight. But it doesn't matter much, thought Alice as all the arch. So she tucked it away under her arm that it might not escape again and went back to have a little more conversation with her friend. When she get, got back to the Cheshire cat, she was surprised to find quite a large crowd collected around it. There was a dispute going on between the executioner, the king, the queen, who were all talking at once while all the rest were quite silent and looking very uncomfortable. The moment Alice appeared, she was appealed to by all three to settle the question and they repeated their arguments to her though as they spoke at once she found it very hard to make out exactly what they said the executioner's argument was that you couldn't cut off a head unless there was a body to cut it off from that he had never and he wasn't going to begin at this time of his life the king's argument was that anything that had a head could be beheaded and that you weren't to talk nonsense 
The queen's argument was that if something wasn't done about it in less than no time, she'd have everyone executed all around. So it was this last remark that had made the whole party look so grave and anxious. Alice could think of nothing else to say, but it belongs to the Duchess. You better ask her about it. She's in prison, said the queen to the examiner. Fetch her here. And the executioner went off like an arrow. The cat's head began fading away the moment he was gone. And by the time it had come back with the Duchess, it had entirely disappeared. So the king and the executioner ran wildly up and down looking for it while the rest of the party went back to the game. Chapter nine, the mock turtle story. You can't think how glad I am to see you again, you dear old thing, said the Duchess as she tucked her arm affectionately into Alice's as they walked off together. Alice was very glad to find her in such a pleasant temper and thought to herself that perhaps it was only the pepper that had made her so savage when they met before in the kitchen. When I'm a Duchess, she said to herself, not at all in a very hopeful tone though, I won't have any pepper in my kitchen at all. Soup does very well without, well, it's maybe always pepper that makes people hot tempered, she went on, very much pleased at having found out some new kind of rule. And vinegar that makes them sour, and chamomile that makes them bitter, and barley sugar that makes things that make children sweet tempered. I only wish people knew that. Then they wouldn't be so stingy about it, you know. She had quite forgotten the Duchess by this time, and it was a little star and was a little startled when she heard her voice, a little voice close to her ear. You're thinking about something, my dear, and it makes you look forget to talk. I can't tell you now just what the moral of that is, but I shall remember it in a bit. Perhaps it hasn't one, Alice ventured to remark. Tut, tut, child, said the Duchess. Everything's got a moral, if only you can find it. And she squeezed herself up closer to Alice's side as she spoke. Alice did not much like her keeping so close. First, because the Duchess was very ugly. And secondly, because she was exactly the right height to rest her chin on Alice's shoulder. And it was uncomfortably sharp. However, she did not like to be rude, so she bore it as well as she could. The game's going on rather better now, she said in a way of keeping up the conversation a little. Tis so, said the Duchess, and the moral of that is, oh, tis love, tis love that makes the world go round. Somebody said that, Alice whispered, that it's done by everybody minding their own business. Ah, oh, well, it means such the same thing, said the Duchess, digging in her sharp little chin into Alice's shoulder. And she added that the moral of that is... Take care of this sense and the sounds will take care of themselves. How fond she is of finding morals and things, Alice thought to herself. I dare say you're wondering why I don't put my arm around your waist, the Duchess said after a pause. The reason is that I'm doubtful about the temper of your flamingo. Shall I try the experiment? He might bite, Alice cautiously replied, not feeling at all anxious to have the experiment tried. Very true, said the Duchess. Flamingos and mustard both bite. And the moral of that is... Birds of a feather flock together. Only mustard isn't a bird, Alice remarked. Right as usual, said the Duchess. What a clear way you have of putting things. It's a mineral, I think, said Alice. Of course it is, said the Duchess. Everything that Alice said. There's a large mustard mine near here. And the moral of that is, the more there is of mine, the less there is of yours. Oh, I know, exclaimed Alice, who had not attended to this last remark. It's a vegetable. It does not look like one, but it agree with you, said the Duchess. And the moral of that is, be what you would seem to be. Or, if you would like to be more simply, never imagine yourself not to be otherwise than what it might appear to others that you were or might have not been otherwise that you might have been when you appear to them to be otherwise. I think I should understand that better, Alice said very politely. If I had written it down, 
or I can't quite follow it as you say it. That's nothing to do with, that's nothing to what I could say if I chose, the Duchess replied in a pleaded tone. Pray don't trouble yourself to say it any longer than that, said Alice. Oh, don't talk about trouble, said the Duchess. I make you a present of everything I've said as yet. A cheap sort of present, thought Alice. I'm glad people don't give birthday presents like that, but she did not venture to say it out loud. Thinking again, the Duchess asked another dig of her sharp little chin. I have a right to think, Alice said sharply, for she was beginning to feel a little worried. Just about as much right, said the Duchess, as pigs have to fly, and the but here, to Alice's great surprise, the Duchess's voice dripped away in the middle of her favorite word, moral, and the arm that was linked into hers began to tremble. Alice looked up, and there stood the queen in front of them, with her arms folded, frowning like a thunderstorm. A fine day, your majesty, the Duchess began in a low, weak voice. Now I give you fair warning, shouted the queen, stamping on the ground as she spoke. Either you or your head is about half no time. Take your choice. The Duchess took her choice and was gone in a moment. Let's go on with the game, the queen said to Alice, and Alice was too much frightened to say a word, but slowly followed her back to the croquet ground. The other guests had taken advantage of the queen's absence and were resting in the shade. However, the moment they saw her, they hurried back to the game, and the queen merely remarked their lives. All the time they were playing, the queen never left quarreling with the other players and shouting, off with his head, or off with her head, to whom... Those to whom she sentenced were taken into custody by the soldiers, who, of course, had to leave off being arches to do this, so that by the end of the hour or so, there were no arches left, and all the players except the king, the queen, Alice, were in custody and under the sentence of execution. Then the queen left off quite out of breath and said to Alice, "'Have you seen the mock turtle yet?' "'No,' said Alice. "'I don't even know what a mock turtle is.' "'It's the thing mock turtle soup is made from,' said the queen." I never saw one or heard of one, said Alice. Come on then, said the queen, and he shall tell you his history. As they walked off together, Alice heard the king say in a low voice to the company generally, you are all pardoned. Come, that's a good thing, she said to herself, for she felt she had quite unhappy at the number of executions the queen had ordered. They very soon came upon a griffin lying fast asleep in the sun. If you don't know what a griffin is, look at the picture. Up, lazy thing, said the queen, and take this young lady to the mock turtle and to hear his history. I must go back to see what the what executions I have ordered. And she walked off, leaving Alice alone with the griffin. Alice did not quite like the look of the creature, but on the whole, she thought it would be quite safe to stay with it, as was to go off with the savage queen. So she waited. The griffin sat up and rubbed its eyes and then watched the queen until she was out of sight. And then it chuckled. What fun, said the griffin, half to itself, half to Alice. What is the fun, said Alice. Why, she, said the griffin. It's all her fancy, that. They never executes nobody, you know. Come on. Everybody says, come on here, thought Alice, as she went slowly after it. I was never so ordered about before in all of my life, never. They had not gone far before they saw the mock turtle in the distance, sitting sad and lonely on a little ledge of rock. And as they came nearer, Alice could hear him sighing as if his heart would break. She pitied him deeply. What is his sorrow? She asked the griffin. And the griffin answered very nearly in the same words as before. It's all his fancy that he hasn't got no sorrow, you know. Come on. So they went up to the mock turtle who looked at them with large eyes full of tears, but said nothing. This here young lady, said the griffin, she wants to know your history, she do. I'll tell it to her, said the mock turtle in a deep hollow tone. Sit down, both of you, and don't speak a word till I've finished. 
So they sat down and nobody spoke for some minutes. Alice thought to herself, I don't see how he can ever finish if he doesn't begin. But she waited patiently. Once, said the mock turtle at last with a deep sigh, I was a real turtle. These words were followed by a very long silence, broken only by the occasional exclamation of hurrah from the griffin and the constant heavy sobbing of the mock turtle. Alice was very nearly there for your interesting story, but she could not help thinking there must be more to come. So she sat still and said nothing. When we were little, the mock turtle went on more calmly through sobbing a little now and then. We went to school in the sea. The master was an old turtle. We used to call him tortoise. Why did you call him tortoise if he wasn't one? Asked Alice. We called him tortoise because he taught us, said the mock turtle angrily. Really, you are very dull. You ought not to be ashamed. You ought to be ashamed of yourself for asking such a simple and then they both sat silent and looked at poor Alice, who felt ready to sink into the earth. At last, the griffin said to the mock turtle, drive on, fellow. Don't be all day about it. And he went on with these words. Yes, we went to school in the sea, though you mayn't believe it. I never said I didn't, interrupted Alice. You did, said the mock turtle. Hold your tongue, said the griffin before Alice could speak again. The mock turtle went on. We had the best of educations. In fact, we went to school every day. I've been to school every day too, said Alice. You needn't be so proud of that. With extras, said the mock turtle a little anxiously. Yes, said Alice. We learned French and music. And washing, said the mock turtle. Certainly not, said Alice indignantly. Oh, then yours wasn't a really good school, said the mock turtle in a tone of great relief. Now at ours, they had at the end of the bill, French music and washing extra. You couldn't have wanted it much, said Alice, living at the bottom of the sea. I couldn't afford to learn it, said the mock turtle with a sigh. I only took the regular course. What was that, inquired Alice. Reeling and riding, of course, to begin with, the mock turtle replied. And then the different branches of arithmetic, ambition, distraction, uglification, and derision. I never heard of uglification, Alice ventured to say. What is it? The griffin lifted up both of his paws in surprise. Never heard of uglifying, it exclaimed. Is, I suppose. Yes, said Alice doubtfully. I mean, it's to make something prettier. Well then, said the griffin, if you don't know what it is to uglify, Alice did not feel encouraged to ask any more questions about it. So she turned to the mock turtle and said, what else had you to learn? Well, there was mystery, said the mock turtle counting off the subjects with this flappers. Mystery, ancient, modern, with the seography, the drawling. The drawling master was old conger eel, and that used to come once a week. He taught us drawling, screeching and fainting and coils. What was that like? asked Alice. Well, I can't show it to you myself, the mock turtle said. I'm too stiff, and the griffin never learned it. Hadn't the time, the griffin said. I went to I went to the classical master, though. He was an old crab, he was. I never went to him, the mock turtle said with a sigh. He taught laughing and grief, they used to say. He's, so he did, so he did, said the griffin, sighing in his turn, and both creatures hid their faces in their paws. And how many hours a day did you do lessons, said Alice, in a hurry to change the subject. Ten hours the first day, said the mock turtle, nine the next, and so on. What a curious plan, explained Alice. That's the reason they're called lessons, the griffin remarked, because they lessen from day to day. This is quite a new idea to Alice, and she thought it over before she made her next remark. 
then the 11th day must have been a holiday. Of course it was, said the Mock Turtle. And how did you manage on the 12th? Alice went on eagerly. That's enough about lessons, said the Gryphon, who interrupted in a very decided tone. Tell her something about the games now. That's it for me today. Join me next time when I start with chapter 10. Bye.